and there's already a bit yellow blood in my in my veins. Already had a crazy 80 months here, but it just keeps on uh, keeps on going. Welcome to All in Yellow, the official Norwich City podcast. Tukey! Sensational! Who else? Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the All in Yellow podcast. Great to have your company. We're now up to episode 15. Can you believe it? This journey's absolutely flown by and we've loved bringing you some great interviews over the past couple of months. But we don't stop there. Today we welcome a crucial part of the current Norwich City operation. It's Academy Head of Football Development, Steve Weaver. Well, Steve joined the club in 2017 and has overseen the development of the academy over the past few years, which has produced a number of players for City's first team. We're certainly going to be asking him about the things he's changed in his relationship with sporting director Stuart Webber and the first team staff. Yeah, it should be a really good one, this. And we want to hear from you guys, too, about who you'd like to see and hear on the pod. Just let us know by tagging us on social media using the hashtag AllInYellow. So without further ado, the latest episode of All In Yellow is with today's guest, Steve Weaver. Steve, great to have you on All In Yellow today. How are you? I'm okay. I hope everyone's okay. It looks like we've slowly coming out of um, of lockdowns. A bit of good news, so uh, I think everyone's spirits are slightly better. So yeah. uh, hopefully everyone's in a uh, you're all good, and we can move out of the thing in the next few weeks. Well, seeing Norwich flying high at the championship, top of the championship, is definitely helping as well, I think. Um, you're obviously head of football development. Now, for those fans that don't know much about your role, how would you define it for them? Um, I'm probably in charge of the football below the first team level. So, um, and it might change a role from academy manager to, um, to, to, the, to the football development is more to do with just performance. So, you know, I've gone away from, you know, some of the uh, more administrative roles of uh, the academy manager, really just to worry about, you know, sort of coaching, performance development, sports science recruitment, uh, where I link in with Stuart. So um, it's probably just more to do with football than the, the performance side of the academy and your your history with Stuart goes way back doesn't it you you worked with him before Norwich City yeah Stu was a, a young coach at Wrexham um sort of coming through he had a real enthusiasm for the game and a, and a, and a thirst for knowledge so yeah we started together and then obviously our journey sort of separated and uh, Stu went to sort of Liverpool and uh, um uh, sort of QPR uh, and then we sort of met up again at Wolves I'd, I'd been at the club for about four or five years um, and then Stu came in as head of recruitment um, I was sort of working around the first team at the time um, and we sort of worked together for another year and then sort of met up two or three years after at Huddersfield so and then as obviously in the last three and a half years we've been together here. You you were a player weren't you a while back before was it injury that, that brought a halt to your playing career? Yeah, thank you for your kind words when you said I was a player. Um, no, I, I, I started off as a YT at Wrexham and um, uh, in my first year as a pro, we'd, we'd not been too far back from uh, pre-season. I'd just been with the first team and then, uh, you know, training, I, I uh, unfortunately uh, snapped my cruciate ligament and never really recovered, uh, if I'm being honest. But uh, it was probably a time that I spent a lot of time in the academy coaching the kids because you sort of just stayed around and, they were always uh, work on a Monday and Thursday night. So um, I'd cycle to work, stay behind later on, do a bit of coaching with the, the academy lads and then cycle back. And that's kind of what you did at those stages and um, help out with the community and, and do different things. And I sort of fell into sort of coaching that way, I think. 
is it safe to say that you probably couldn't even imagine a life outside of football? So when you snapped your cruciate ligament, you probably had to have a quick rethink. Uh, yeah, I, I think football was different at the time. I mean, to be fair, I think football was not like it is now. Um, it, I always felt, it, I think at that time, you're always told on a daily basis how lucky you were to be in it. You know, I mean, my mates were all, you know, mechanics, brickies, you know, and I was doing something that I loved. So there was always a sense of... Um, uh, uh, that I was a lucky one. Um, and I think when that come, I think you always kind of, I, I kind of always thought, well, football's only going to last so long and the money wasn't like it is now. So, I mean, I, I think my first wage was £75. So gives you a little idea of, uh, I wasn't going to buy a full bedroom house on that. Um, so no, no, it, it was what it was. And uh, most people that then were lads who retired from football generally went into coaching management or did something. So it wasn't, kind of like it is now, it wasn't the be all and end all. You kind of knew it was for a time and, you know, you were always looking for what was next because you never earned enough money really um, outside of the uh, of the Premier League or the First Division to, to really make enough money to to sustain yourself. So everyone was always looking for jobs. You were always looking for, for, for what was next. So I was probably part of that generation. And you were at Wrexham, I think, was it 20 years you were there? And, and as you say, you worked with Stuart Webber there. You worked with him at Huddersfield, at Wolves as well. You two must have been through quite a lot together so far. Yeah, no, we, we've got a good... Um, I, I think in football, you don't have... You have a lot of acquaintances. You've got, you know, got hundreds and hundreds of people on your phone. But there's only a handful of people that you turn to when it's not going great who will tell you the truth. Uh, I, I, we've got that sort of relationship... You know, so, uh, you know, Stu would ask me certain things, you know, even about now, you know, I'm an independent sort of voice, really. I, I don't spend any time around the first team or um, or he sees things around. What do you think of this? Um, and it's not about tactics or anything like that. It'd normally be about, you know, how's the training ground looking? What's the atmosphere like? You know, things that, I don't know, the, the sort of things where, you know, I'd give him a straightforward answer. Um so no, I think you go through a lot with certain people. Um, we sort of had a relegation sort of campaign at Wrexham that Stu was part of the staff during, which was very difficult for us all. We, we managed to stay up, but it, it sort of took its toll on the, on the lads around us at the time, of which uh, it was Brian Carey was the manager, who was chief scout at Spurs, and Stu was on the on the staff then. It was Steve Cooper, manager of Swansea, was the was working with us. So we sort of all went through some stuff together that makes you friends, gives you maybe a bigger bond than that you normally get in football. So my relationship with Stu is based on probably an amount of trust. And I think in football, you don't have too many people that you do trust. Did you guys have a, a pact that you would work together again someday? So when Stuart came in at Norwich, did you think, oh, that might be somewhere I might end up as well? No, uh, well, I think um, it's, it's really interesting because I, I was the sort of academy manager at, at, um, at Wrexham. Stu was a young coach. Um, and then um, we all kind of went our separate ways. I mean, we didn't meet together really for a long time after. Um, he came into orders, uh, sorry, to Wolves. I left probably a year after. And then we've always been mates, you know, in terms of like we'd speak to each other about what was going on in football and different things. But um, uh, there was a position at uh, Huddersfield that he was, when he was sporting director, said, listen, can you come and work with the lads below the first team? Um, something I did a lot with at Wolves. Um, you know, the, the young pros, the lads who were in the first team. And then out of nowhere, he sort of said, listen, the academy manager's going. Do you want, to, do you want that job? So it sort of happened. It, sometimes things happen for, for a reason. I, we, only, we were only there for 12 months. And then it very similar happened here. Sort of, I, I, 
you know, he came down, he saw some things. I think Richard Money was was about to leave or, or had left. And he said, listen, what are you doing? Will you come down here and, and, and sort of help me out? Certainly in the early stages. I think when you go to a big club, is you kind of need two or three people on the same wavelength as you, which enables you to get your message across far quicker. You know, so I, so I think I was the one person for Stu that he was able to, listen, I know what he wanted and I know the way that he wants his football played. Um, so it was really easy for me to try and instill that in the academy. And what did you find when you first came to Norwich then? Because I remember reading you saying that there was a cultural difference between Norwich and Huddersfield, where you'd left. What did you mean by that? Um, I, I think wherever you go in the country, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's just a cultural difference in the clubs. So what if, you know, if you're from Norwich, you're a different type of person than you are if you're from Birmingham or, or London or Liverpool or, you know. So I think that the, there was a cultural difference, I think, in terms of the type of people that work there. Maybe the type of football, it's Yorkshire, it's, it's slightly different. Um, uh, and I think when we came here, it was probably the first time that I'd seen a massive, I'd sort of worked in the Northwest, worked, worked in the Midlands, uh, worked at Yorkshire. Um, those, it's a different type of, of culture. And then you came here and there was, a, uh, we're probably chalk and cheese. I think we, you know, it was a, a massive influence, influence placed on, you know, the type of football that they wanted to play. It was very different to what we did, the type of lads we were. I mean, we were in at half six, seven o'clock in the morning. We leave, it, it, it wasn't that feel. So I think it wasn't a, a case of one being right or one being wrong. It was just it was just different. And when you come from something that's culturally so different, it's kind of a big change, you know. So um and very much we, we were so used to working together as a as a you know we're close. We don't have big staff, we work together, we know each other's problems, and you know, we try and work it around. When I came, there was a lot of staff here, you know, it was like, oh, you know, I you know, I spent the, the sort of first month walking around trying to find, you know, who everyone was and why did you have so many people? So it's just that it's just culturally different, I think. Uh, and that was what we tried to navigate our way through for, you know, certainly the first sort of uh, six months. That's interesting. When you first arrived, did Stuart, when he laid out his plan to you, what were his big areas to address? Was it culture, facilities, recruitment, pastoral care of players, all of that? Yeah. <laughs> I think to be fair, when you are so different culturally, it is you know. I think Stu, to be fair, before I came in, was very clear with the with the staff. Said, "Listen, there's going to be changes. Steve's been brought in. I know how I know how Steve works. This is what he's done. Um, he will marry up the philosophy of the young players with the club. And to be fair to Stuart, part of that philosophy is just not a playing philosophy or a coaching philosophy. It's about we we like." our environment to feel as if you know whatever happens at home you can come in and you're away from that and it's a real safe environment but a hard-working one and we like people to express themselves but some things are non-negotiable you know sort of like you walk past a piece of litter pick it up leave the place as you found it it's really basics that I think football sometimes loses and I think if the staff have got it the players have got it um, and I really like the fact that when you work with smaller numbers of staff you all know each other's problems and you're in it together. I think the moment you start to get bigger, it's really hard to have, you know, you become more of a dysfunctional family. Where I think we're probably a tight-knit family that bickers a bit like everyone else is at home. So that's that what we've become. And I think the environment now is a really good one. Um, 
But that's not to say that the old one was bad. It's just that it was very different. It was more players, more coaches, more going on. We're less players, more time with them, quality rather than quantity, uh, less coaches. But then we've probably added player care to that, more physios, more sports scientists. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a difference in the way that you approach uh, the development of young people. And, and within that revamp, you talk there about the number of people involved in it and it being a lot of people that you didn't perhaps know who they were or what they were doing. How do you go about perhaps, I guess, shrinking the team, making sure that the people who are here are exactly who you want to be and to do the job you want to do? That must be quite difficult. Yeah, it, um, it was sort of, I, I sort of caught a bit of advice on it um, about how you would do it. Because we kind of knew that, I mean, there was a financial element to some of the reduction in staff as well. You know, it was a big staff um, and we and we weren't at the time in a, a great financial position so it, it, it wasn't um, you know some of it was like we had two positions for some coaching roles and you know I, I'd sort of done one similar and different club it wasn't two of us it was one um, so what, what I did was I spent six weeks just looking and, and just looking at how we would want to do it and you know I was very very straight with everyone I said listen I can't guarantee you know, what's going to come next. Uh, so, but what I can guarantee is that I'll give as informed a decision as I can. Uh, and during that time, you know, I unfortunately had to let some, some people go, of which I knew were really good in terms of, but they just didn't fit. Or it was a position we just didn't need. So, um, you know, and it's never nice. You know, it, it, it's always a difficult time. And, you know, when I look back, um, my only sort of sense of... Um, uh, of feeling around that time is the fact I sort of went through the process, told everyone, and then I did it to everyone. So it was just it was a it was a it was a change that was needed because that's the way the club wanted to go. So um, if they wanted to go in a different direction, then the approach may have been slightly different. But uh, you know, um, I think there was a huge financial burden on at the time, and it, the, the business needed to be streamlined. So I was just part of that. I suppose one of those people that you had to say goodbye to was Darren Huckabee, who's, you know, a massive Norwich City man. And how difficult a conversation was that? How how do you even start that conversation? Um, well, I think one thing I'd say about Darren is, is when, when we spoke, it was a straightforward conversation. I've seen him since, you know, it's always difficult because it's kind of the first thing that he's always going to remember you by. So, you know, um, it's never the nicest thing, but... You know, I think Darren would understand that he's been a player, you know, where, where he's not gone with managers or different things. Or, And I, I think the one thing I would say is I said, listen, I'm not going to replace you, is the fact that we're just making that position redundant. You know, you know, sometimes it doesn't really matter what you say because, you know, Darren loves the club and, you know, at a time I was taking him away from something he loved. Um, but I didn't make the decision about, you know, about Darren personally. It was about the position and what I felt at the time, you know, Matt Gill was doing the, the, the lead role and, you know, it's not something that we'd, uh, we're looking to replace. So it was really hard and, and it sets you off on the wrong foot, doesn't it? You know, with someone who's a big influence in the club and, you know, um, I, I think maybe the braver decision would have been to get rid of someone else and kept Darren. But I just felt that, you know, well, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, I, I, you know, time will tell. Um, but it was no reflection of Darren at all. You know what I mean? It wasn't the case of, oh God, I'm getting rid of a you know, someone who wasn't good at his job. It was just the fact that we kind of needed to get rid of the position, really. So, you know, hopefully over time that, you know, um, you know, Darren understands that and it was just part of what I was doing at the time. 
You talk there about a braver decision. Are there any regrets? I know obviously there would have been difficult decisions to have made at that time. Um, I, I, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it, with, with everything. In terms of the people who went, I think the majority of people, I think uh, uh, Adrian Forbes has been open about saying, you know, he was really disappointed about leaving. Um, you know, I probably wasn't the most popular lad with him at the time, but he's now worked at first team level in a championship club and he's working with 23s and going where he wanted. I couldn't provide the opportunity um, and that ended up happening. So in, in one respect, you know, I was really sad to do it, uh, but in another way, it was the making of him. And, that, and that's happened to me personally. So I know that, you know what, sometimes things happen for a reason. And then the second thing is sometimes when someone forces your hand, the, the next stage is, can be better than you thinking that it's not. You know, it's harder, I, I must admit, it is harder in Norwich because obviously the people, you know, it's not at loads of football clubs around you. So if you lose your job at Norwich, like you've got to, you've got to sort of move and move away and listen, the standard of living here is great. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that come into those, especially if you've got a family, is it can influence your family? You might have to move or you might have to go away. So, you know, it's, yeah, a lot of that plays on your mind, but I made the decisions hopefully for the right reason, not for the wrong reason. And when you started, you walked into what is now the Lotus Training Centre, um, but was just regular old Colney at the time. How has that project, uh, since you've been here, what have you seen evolve around you at that place? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, to be fair, Stu did sort of tell me that, listen, you're not going to believe this. And I sort of laughed and went, no, like, you know, everyone always makes everything a little bit bigger than what it was. And he went, no, we play our youth games on a slope. And I was like, nah, nah. And we'd import cabins that are condemned. I was like, okay. And I I thought, listen, there's always worse in it than than people say. So I, I turned up and he was right. It was sort of like, yeah, we did have loads of like mounds of earth that was come off where they dug out before. And um, it, it was um, it was an interesting time to start with. Um, but the, the, the really good thing about the club was, is that I think Stu, by the time he got the trust, I think, of the board, you know, because I think when Stu come in, it's it's different. It's, you know, Stu can be forthright and, you know, and to the point. And, you know, that, that takes a long time to gain success. It's great you come in, you you know, you say what you what you want to do, but then you have to have success to get it. And in the first year when you're 14, there's an awful lot of people not really sure about what's, you know, is this right? Is it wrong? You know, is he a one-hit wonder? Did it with his field? Um, but a lot of things behind the scenes were I felt were, were sort of getting in place. And part of that really was the trust of the, I think the, the certainly the owners, dealer and Michael towards Stuart. I think some of the players that he signed, they could see. You know the, the, the sort of um, the improvement of, of, of uh, James Madison and all the younger players were starting to come through, and I see. I think people could see it behind the scenes, and then from that bit of trust, we then got. This is what we want to do to the training ground. Do you now trust us with the money that potentially we could make to do this? You know, so we had the cup runs. We played Arsenal. We played Chelsea. We'd have phone calls after the game to say, "Listen, I think we've got another three hundred grand here towards." Flattening the pitches. And, and that's how it was in the early days. But the best thing about that was the owners never once said, no, you can't do it. And that for people like me and Stu who've worked in the lower end of the game is when you have to beg, steal and borrow is is gold. So I think since we've been here now, is I, I think there's that trust of, you know, if, if you're able to self-finance and do it without putting the club at jeopardy, 
um, then we will back anything that makes the club better. So, as you can see now, you know, I'm in the I'm in the facility, I'm in the office, and it's wonderful. But it's not, you know, the good thing is, is that, you know, uh, we've got a soccer box coming in the, in the future. There's, there's more plans for the training ground. We're in talks about a performance centre, um, and it's the, the, I think the really good thing about that is it'll be self-financed. So. Stu's got to work his magic at the top end, do what he hopefully does. The first team and Daniel doing what they do and looks like we could be on the verge of going back to the Premier League. So hopefully, you know, the, the development doesn't stop and whenever that, you know, it all comes to an end for us that we've left the place in a little bit, hopefully, uh, for the next person to take forward. Yeah, and it certainly looks to be paying off at the minute, doesn't it? And then the facilities recently, you know, with all the money that's been spent on them, they look absolutely incredible. But when you first arrived, were you in any way surprised at the state of things then? Yeah, no, yeah, it was worse than I thought, you know. I mean, Stu did build it up and it was worse than we thought. But I think, uh, to be fair, it's, it's cultural difference, isn't it? I, I, I think, to, you know, the, the club had spent a lot of money on players. And, you know, they wanted to stay in the Premier League and felt that was the way to go. Um, I think in terms of our culture, we just felt infrastructure that will then gain you long-term sustainability. So I, I just think it's a difference of opinion, a difference of approach. So our approach has never been that. So, you know, if, if, you, know, if you go in the Premier League or if something happens, you have a cup run or, and you gain a little bit of success and a little bit of, of money, in 10 years, I have something to show for it not oh that was a great season wasn't it so, so I think that's just a mentality thing I think what the club did before and, and the owners tried to do was was back the manager and try and stay in the Premier League and unfortunately it, it didn't happen and you, you pay a financial cost for that which we probably we inherited but you know that can that that can work somewhere else can't it so I'm not saying either model's right or wrong it's just uh, sort of what we came into but I think now I, I think with the facilities, you can attract, um, you know, a better, not a better standard of player. But I think a player will come for less money because he can see where he's going to work. Whereas I think if you come to see the port cabins before, you're probably going to have to pay them a few more pounds to to come and play for you. So you know, when a professional player is being recruited, obviously the training ground we've talked about it before, Alice is is where they spend most of their time. For a young player, and gone are the days of boot cleaning, I'm assuming, of the first team players. For a young player coming into that environment, having all of those facilities around them, is there a danger that they think, oh, you know what, I've made it already. You know, I'm 14 years old and look at the treatment I get. I'm a, I'm a pro already. Yeah, th th I, I suppose there is. But that then it falls back onto your culture. Goes back to if you walk past a piece of litter, pick it up. If you allow that within your culture, then you're breeding. I, I, I always think a team, irrespective of how good your house is and how you know how big your house is, is is that you know if you're a parent, it's is how your kids well behaved. So it doesn't really matter which house you come from, really. So no, no, I, 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 and I, I think there's a level we're we're a Premier League club, you know, or we, you know we we're on the verge of it, and we like to be there and sustainable. There's a level of facility that these clubs have, um, so I think it's really important that. Like, it's not, you know, we like to brag about our facilities, but we went with Leicester last week where they've just spent 100 million as a golf course in it. So, um, I, yeah, I kind of, it, it, you know, it goes with the territory. You know, I think sometimes that, you know, it's the, the facility now is of a level that's fitting for the club, not it wasn't fitting for the club. You know, it was pretty, pretty poor, really, in relation to the standing uh, of Norwich City, I think. 
Do you think patience has been key to this sort of longer term plan? Because I guess particularly when a lot of teams go up to the Premier League, you see them splash out, say, £100 million. I remember a couple of seasons ago, Fulham did that. They came straight back down again. But their training facilities are probably questionably not on par, I guess, with Norwich. That's just one example. But do you think it, it is all part of the longer term plan to provide that sustainability moving forward? Well, I think with a self-funding model. So... I think, with all due respect to, to Fulham, they've got a very wealthy owner. So I think we're one of the only uh, clubs, really, that's sort of doing what we're doing. So the model is different based on probably just a, a, you know, a, a business model. Um, I know we, there was a report in the Financial Times uh, recently about how effective we are. I think English football can take an awful lot from the continent in terms of, I don't think there's some really big... Uh, Clubs in Europe who don't necessarily go and spend as much money as everyone else, but develop their own young players. Now, whether they get a young player from, you know, up the road, you know, from another club and, and develop them or they, or they bring them through themselves. I, I, you know, I always look at Man United really in terms of, you know, they're the biggest club in the world. They spend a lot of money on certain players, but the other part of that is they develop their own. And they, I think they've had a, a person in their match day squad for, I don't know, 100 years or so it's, uh, it's kind of their culture. Um, for me, it should be Norwich's culture. So I think the, the moment Man United come under pressure or they start losing or it's not, they're not winning the league, they don't turn away from what they've always been good at. And that's developing young players. So, you know, when they eventually sort of, uh, sort of do well uh, and challenge for trophies and do what they do, it'll be based with a Rashford in it, a Greenwood in it. And I think that should be, you know, the potential for, for this club. I think the second part of that is, with all due respect, young English players like we've seen in the past generate an awful lot of money. And if you want to go and sign 28-year-olds for 15 million, you're not going to sell them for that much money. Whereas if you're, you're Ben Godfrey's, you're, you're two Murphy's, um, James Madison, the talent that's in our first team at the moment, um, you know, there's a certain model that the club makes it able to to finance the facilities. So that's young British players that are either coming through your academy that you buy. So, you know, the moment I think that the club goes away from that model, and that might be, I don't know, it could be the end of this year, I don't know, it could be whenever, is the moment then, you know, you, 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 you're going back to, to the, maybe the reality of what happened before, where you spent money on big bigger name players. If it goes wrong, you've got nothing to, to fall back on. So, you know, the club at this moment in time are backing young people young players to become the 25, 30 million pound players. So that's the club's philosophy. How long that lasts, I, that's really down to the people that work above me. The the self-funding model is absolutely core to everything that you guys are doing. Do you feel the weight of expectation on your role in achieving that? Because, and I'm going to nick your line here, is that we can't necessarily buy stars, but we can make them. I won't pretend that I just made that up. I know that's a <laughs> that's one from the staff down there. Do you feel that weight of expectation in playing your part? Um, well, I don't know. I, 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 I always think with this sort of stuff is, um, so, you know, when you've sort of been in the game sort of a long time, it'll be interesting at the end of the season, we go up with a promoted team. Um, you know, we're, we're still probably hurting from the last time we were in the Premier League. You know, I, I don't think anyone really... You know, the fact that those fans had a massive influence, because I think Carroll Rhodes 
at its best helps helps us. I've got to say, I think if we'd have been in now uh, with us being top of the league, I think we'd have more points. I just I think Carroll Road is a good place to play for young players. You know, so I, I think it was the moment we didn't have any players staff in the sorry uh, fans in the stadium. It had a real detriment effect on us because I think the atmosphere that it can create is is, is great and it's a, an advantage. I think for other clubs, it can it can be a disadvantage. So. I think you know, next time you get in the Premier League is they'll want to stay there. Daniel will want to stay there. Stuart will want to stay there. They'll want to prove that they are Premier League and deserve to be at the top end, which then puts pressure on your academy to produce that type of player. I think for us really is, is you know, we've been brave in, in the time that I've been here to go, no, no, he'll come through. So it's it, it's really time for, I would imagine you Adam Idas of this world to come to the fore and hopefully become those next players, your Barleys, you know, your, uh, Josh Martins, those type of players. Are they going to be the ones that are going to take over from Ben and James and um, Jamal Lewis? Um, it's down to the players, really, but also a bit of bravery from us to keep the model going. Steve, what, what do you think has been learned from last season, the relegation from the Premier League, and what the club will do differently to ensure that the stay, when it happens, is a longer one? Um, probably more a question for Stuart, I think, for Stuart and Daniel. Um I think there was loads of lessons, but I, I, I think what people don't realise was the infrastructure work that was going on at that time. You know, and I think we, the, the club were reasonably open about that we might go backwards in terms of performance off the field because we can't really support Daniel. You know, and, and because we were building pitches, doing all the stuff, you know, rebuying certain bits of land and different things that, that the club were doing. So... I think it, it sort of said, no, no, we want to secure the infrastructure of the club first. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. You know, so um, I'm pretty sure if the first team get promoted, then, you know, it will be supported in the way that, that it would be, hopefully without losing our core values of, of, of what we're trying to achieve. You know, the young and hungry selling sort of players model that gives every young player a chance to get better and hopefully go on to play in a... Uh, you know, a level that maybe we can't provide at the moment. So, I, I, but in terms of what we, we've learned, the biggest thing I've learned, I mean, you watch all the games, is like the games, I was at Wickham on Saturday. I mean, it is a, a you know, it's they've done brilliant to get the games on. It's great for watching at home, but it's not watching it in front of 28,000, is it? You know what I mean? And uh, the game is so different with fans. And, it, and, it, and it's, I, I think it's a novelty for a year, but the sooner we get the fans back in, and how we, I think everyone's realised just how important they are. I've one thing I find fascinating about the academy setup is the recruitment into the academy because it's quite a sensitive process because you're recruiting younger players and you're probably dealing with their parents instead of agents. How wide do you cast that net in terms of recruitment into the academy? And how do you go about that process in giving the parents the confidence that their their player, their their son, is coming into the right environment? Um I think the first thing is, is really simple. Up until under 12, it's an hour. So if you're in it within an hour of the training ground, that's how far we can go. Obviously, we go one way, we're in the sea. So we've not got an awful lot of uh, things. So, and then it's an hour and a half once you go from 12 to 14. Uh, and then from 14, it's full-time, but you have to move them part of your school's full-time program. Uh, ours is not massive, if I'm being honest. We're not a big believer in um, moving you know, unnecessarily people away from home. But if we do it, then they go into another family, 
so it's a family from a family. They live a, as, as, as normal a life as they possibly can. Have a circle of friends beyond the ones that they've got. It's not you come in, football's a be all and end all. And then when you, if it doesn't go well, that's your life gone. So we, we try and make it as normal as we can. I think in terms of parents trusting us, well, I've got three children and I, I, you know, they're a bit older now, they can sort of do their own stuff. But like during their life, I never put them into the care of someone I didn't trust. You know, so I like to think that, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, sort of staff and support staff that have all got children of their own who are really good people. Um, you know, the only thing that I would say is we're reason, you know, we're honest, you know, and I'm not sure in the world today that everyone's as honest as maybe we are uh, in terms of, you know, I, I think the problem is now is probably goes back to when I was a, a player. I thought it was a privilege to be at a football club. My mates weren't in football clubs. So, you know, I was always seen as the lad, the lucky one. Whereas now, I, I don't know about society where, you know, it's it's a given. Oh yeah, you know, and you're, you know, you, you're meant to have a physio, you're meant to have this. I, I, I don't know, you'd have to ask a parent, but, you know, all I know is that when the the the, uh, the kids come to to Norwich, they play football, they get coached the best that we can coach, they get the best of care we can provide. Um, and we do what we can. Uh, anything above that, there's never a promise that we can't keep. We don't promise someone a first-team debut. That's that's in there. We don't ask people to put stuff on social media. We just ask you to come enjoy your football, enjoy coaching, in, in, enjoy the games, enjoy the facilities for as long as it lasts. And whenever it finishes, whether it's at 12 or 36, just enjoy it. Because... At the end of the day, I, I do think it's about a parent watching a young lad or your son play football. It's not about what he achieves or the pay packet or what you think he is. He should have that. It's really about just making sure your kids are, are happy for me. Yeah, and we all know, obviously, how fiercely competitive football is. And it's such a small percentage of players that are playing as a child that go on to then get that first professional contract. And I guess you're probably having to deal with letting down young players and, as Dan touched on, their parents as well. How much is that a part of your kind of daily routine, I guess? You were sort of, listen, I mean, it's hard football not to be out of the, the media, isn't it? You know, it doesn't, you know, at the start of the pandemic, it was football's fault that, that you know, they're getting paid too much. You know, and then someone reminded the government that there was half a billion pound of tax, their money's going into the tax and it's actually going towards the NHS. And then all of a sudden you've got Marcus Rashford and then you've got Jordan Henderson being the person that's in, you know, a, 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 a patron of the NHS. So I, I, I think with football gets a tough, you know, if there's a world war going on, football's got something to do with it. You know, whereas it's, it's like, it's not, it's football. It's a business. It's not a city, it's a, it's a business that does what it does. Um, just because they now get paid an awful lot more money doesn't mean to say it's, it's any... You know, it's still a business. It's still sort of business. If a, I don't know, someone who works in the stock market earns whatever they earn, it's, oh, yes, footballer earns it because he's come from a council estate, then it's not right. I, I, I don't really agree with that. But I think there's also the byproduct of that is everyone thinks that they're Steven Gerrard or they're James Madison or, you know, they're, they're Ben Godfrey. And it's not. There's only one Olympic gold medalist in 100 metres in the world. And it's about, it's elite sport. So everyone goes on about all these people that go through um, academies and they all drop out. Our, our approach to parents is, is that you're in, a, you're in an education system. 
So you go through school. If you go through school, you do your A-levels. And then at the end of your A-levels, you might, if you're lucky enough, you might go on and do a degree and, and then qualify. That's an academy for me. What we don't provide for you, and we, and we go to great lengths to try and tell the kids this, is that we don't provide you with the job at the end. That's the role of the academy. I think the problem is with, with football is, is that it's almost like football's got to look after people beyond. You know, so... And there are horror stories up and down, but I don't think that's at Norwich. So this is how we've sort of counteracted that. We do our best to let all the players know at least six months in advance. So we'll say, listen, the games are still there for you, training's still there for you, but at the end of this season, your contract will be finished. Or if it's an under-15, we try and tell them at the end of the under-15th year, so they've got a whole year to get their head around it, we can work with them to try and find out what's next. And I think that's the best way that we can do it. And it's probably the only way that we can do it that we think is fair. What we certainly don't do is you get to, your contract finishes in June, and then in the end of May we say, oh, by the way, uh, we're not going to keep you next year. But that's not the way that Norwich does it. Um, and that's the only thing that I think that, that, that we're responsible for. Um, and that, I think that's me, you know, we guarantee them game time, we guarantee them training time. We release them with a load of information that they've been built up to, that it's not the end of the world. Now, they'll never agree with you if you release someone, because that's just human nature. But at least you've done it in the, in the correct way. Probably like when, when we were talking about the staff before, there was a period of time of looking at it, being really honest with people and going, this is why we made the decision. But you know what? We've got plenty of time. You know, your contract's got this long left. You know, we'll work together to get you to the next stage. You'll be amazed how many parents and, and, and kids go, no, I just want to do my own thing. So that's the only way I think we can be fair. So um, that's probably uh, the best way, whether it's the, the right way. It's, it's, it's the only way really for us. So it's as fair as it can be. You talked earlier about uh, perhaps that you don't work necessarily that closely with Daniel. I'm interested how the first team in the academy squads interact whilst around the training ground. So do the first team, are they quite separate? Do they get to mix with the academy? Do they know who the academy players are and mentor them a little bit? What's what's the interaction like? Um, to be fair, we probably haven't... Listen, COVID's had a, a massive effect on... You know, I, I, I think in the last sort of 12 months, nothing to do with anything other than you, you can't really speak to your own family, never mind, you know. So I, I think we've been really careful not to, to um, you know, be, sort of get in each other's way. I mean, we just don't want to, you know, want to eliminate the risk, really. Uh, but in terms of, I, I think that the, the Daniel situation is, it's not the fact that we don't work, like we've both got separate jobs. And, and I think when I first joined the club, it was made very clear, Steve, this is how it works. Not through Daniel, by Stuart. Listen, Daniel's got his job. He's performance. He's got to win. You've got to develop. So the, the, the bit in the early days was about how we produce the type of players that Daniel would like. You know, and then our departments, we're very much a one club, so sports science department, James Doe Smith talks to Christian Magalo daily, you know, um, uh, David Wright would obviously communicate with Eddie over the coaching, so we're, we're local. I speak to Stuart and, and Daniel over the type of football we play. So it's very much a one club. It's not, it's probably a bit like what I think Delia mentioned about having a, a sort of chief executive who ran the club. She's just, we don't want that. It's not a manager. It's about an integration of the whole uh, staff, which is the same with the recruitment. So um, 
we will eventually get back to the site being a bit more sort of um, uh, sort of on a cross ref, uh, sort of cross. But we, it's very much departmental, and it's one club. But Stu, uh, Stuart's sort of uh, the integral part of that. So, you know, we're kind of at all a jigsaw. We all kind of, I think the strength of the club at the moment is we all know what we're supposed to do. You know, my role for Daniel is, is to try and give him the type of players that he could look at that keeps him in the Premier League, really. So that, that's my job. And I know it. Um, my staff knows it. And they all work together with the first team staff to, to ensure that that's the right way. And that's how I support Daniel. Where Daniel is, is is excellent for us is he he he's a he's a master at developing the the lads once they've left us you know and that and that's I think where it all works I don't think we necessarily um, you know you know just sort of talk to each other sort of on a daily basis we just kind of know what each other wants and we're both very respectful of what each other does I think. And you've had some huge success from recent seasons with producing players for the first team. You look at the likes of. Ben Godfrey, Max Ahrens, Todd Cantwell, and, and you know Adam Ida, many more. You must feel a huge sense of pride when you see their, them develop, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's great for, uh, to be fair, I think it's a, it's something as well that um, sort of Delia's wanted and Michael have wanted for so long. You know, they went to Augsburg years ago and wanted homegrown players and wanted to see this, you know, so I, so I think we've, I think we've just tried to deliver what the club envisaged that they'd like to be. Um, so that, that, that's a, as big a satisfaction for, for, for me. It's not, I don't think, um, I think sometimes with some of the players you've mentioned, is it pretty hard to stop them being sort of good players? I think the, the biggest thing that, that's happened at the club is the cultural shift and the opportunity that these boys have now got. You know, we, the best thing for us is we don't sit in front of any player at any age where a parent or an agent can say to us, well, you didn't give him a chance. Mm -hmm. You know, they basically say, well, I played every game. I was involved in every training session. Um, I don't think your decision's right, but I can't say that you didn't play, you know. So um, all they've done is we've provided an opportunity, uh, opened a few doors. Uh, they've proven to us that they're good enough. But it also is a, is a, is a good reflection maybe of the work that's happening throughout the club at all levels about what we've been asked the players, what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, and we're just very, very lucky that all the parts fit in. Um, that doesn't always happen at every club, but, you know, that's probably credit to, uh, I think, to the owners, the board, Stuart, and, you know, ultimately Daniel for for helping develop them. I'll put you on the spot here, and I almost know that you won't, you won't answer uh, exactly. You talked about some of the boys that have come through into the first team, even this season when we were getting a bit thin on the ground and first team players, there was a few that got their debuts and got a taste of first team football. I think uh, Reese McAleer, Daniel Barden, Tyrese Omatoy, Omar Banadelli. I mean, just who, who are the next guys coming through is the question that I know you probably won't answer. <laughs> um, the only reason why I don't answer that is because like they, they can twist so much, can't it? And then, yeah, especially when they're, they're an age where you know, like, it's hard enough for them on so, social media, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden I put something in their head and all of a sudden I've got to re, rebuild the door so they can fit them, fit them through it, you know? So I think from my side is, is I, I, all I would say to all of the, the fans out there is, is that we've got a lot of talented players. I, I think the, it's really interesting at the moment because we've got a lot of what I would say, lads that um, developed a little bit sort of 18, 19, you had them and 
Max, although he's, he's, he's getting bigger and stronger, they were reasonably early, uh, early developers. This is the first group that we've had here, probably a bit like Todd, where Todd sort of broke into it a bit later on, was a bit of a dot younger, and then sort of flourished when he sort of got his man body. We've got a load of those lads now, um, where they're not for now, you, you know. Um, so I think it's not the fact that the well's dry, it's just the fact that they're just going to take a little bit longer because they're not physically ready uh, to play. But in terms of talent, we're as excited about the ones just below as we, we are about any of the ones that have actually gone on to do stuff. So uh, we're really pleased with the kids that are, that are underneath all the way through. Um, but it would be unjust to me to name any of them. I think, I think to be fair, the obvious ones really are probably, we'd like Adam to cement himself. I think Adam's, you know, be that number, you know, centre forward that starts every week. That would be great because he's, he's in and around it. Andrew's been in and around it. Um, Tyrese has been in and around it. Um, so I, I think really for them to become those players, you know, so Josh Martin to become the next Todd Campbell really is, is, is the next thing. But I think the next group really another, maybe another year away from sort of getting their self around it just because they're physically sort of underdeveloped. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to nail anything to the... To the <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> Have any of the club's current first team players surprised you in any way with their development? Um, I, I, I think Todd has taught us to be patient. Uh, he's also taught us that, and I've known this for some time, but, but Todd thrives in games that, you know, being at a training ground playing for under 23s is probably not that exciting for him. I think Josh Martin is similar. You know, being at someone's training ground doesn't really turn Josh on, put him in a first-team environment, and he, he seemed happy. Um, so, so I think Todd, not because of his talent, Todd, because we just maybe didn't think... Um, yeah, he, he was very sort of uh, indifferent with his sort of development path, but I've got to say, when he went on loan, he, he sort of ripped it up in Holland. It was, you know, and, and he was uh, one that we've learned from. You know, not in terms of talent and his ability, but just maybe we didn't think that he had the mindset at that time, but he's obviously proved us wrong. Um, I think all the others, we, I'm not saying that, we, listen, I don't expect, you know, some of them to have gone on and, and done as well as they've done, but I, I do think that we thought that they could play in the first team. And then once you're over that, when you're in that level and you've played sort of 20, 30 games, you're in the realms of, oh, Max is finding it a bit easier than we thought, you know, or, or oh, Ben's looking a bit better than... You know, we knew, we knew he'd be good enough to play in the team, but always. Yeah, so I think that he, our job was maybe to get them there. But I don't think I'm ever surprised that... I don't think young people ever let you down. I've I just got that, you know. I think it's when you've got a mortgage and a family, that's when doubt comes into your head. I think when you're 17... We'd all love to go back to them years, wouldn't we? <laughs> you know, 17 to sort of 20, you're carefree, do what you want. Uh, and the young lads seem, seem to play that way as well. So... Um, I don't think, you know, football clubs sometimes forget that. And I, I guess the loan spells have been key in, in some of the players you mentioned there, their development. How closely do you work with Neil Adams? I mean, we, we had a podcast with him a couple of months back and it was really interesting to hear how he kind of personally identifies the clubs that would suit each particular player. How much contact do you two have on a day-to-day -day basis? We WhatsApp each other regularly because we're on like sort of, a, you know, he obviously, you know, he's a... Uh, he's sort of one of them sort of blokes that I get on with so we sort of have a sort of friendly banter every day um, you know so now I speak to Neil I, I had in this morning we just talk and talk about players and think he's uh, 
know, I think between Stu and, and Neil, that's probably the, the the connection that's probably used the most. Um, yeah, Neil. Listen, Neil's been a youth coach. He's been a you know, he's won the Premier League as a player. He's been a manager. You know, he's a, he's a you know he's a, he's he's a really good source of um, information for me. Things I can bounce ideas off. He puts a different perspective on things. Um, and when I was at Wolves, I did some. I was although I was a coach, I used to look after the the loans lads as well. So, um, it, it, yeah, we we sort of talk a lot about the next stage of the. You know, it's not about whether they go on loan playing our first team. It's about when you've got them on an upward curve, when you think they're going to plateau, is the moment you have to change something. So we talk a lot about the players with Stuart about, oh, they're starting to plateau. Not going to play in Daniel's team. What do we do? You know, and try and keep them on an upward curve. You know, we need to maybe reset the challenges for them. So, um, yeah, Neil's, Neil's an integral part of what we do here. It's really interesting hearing about how you interact with everyone there. And it, it sounds from everyone that we talk to as well, like it's such a brilliant place to work. You must really look forward to coming into work. And I, I'm asking you honestly, is it really like that? Or is, just, is this just a picture that you guys are painting? Do you actually love coming in and doing a job? Yeah, I love every part of it, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I think that the, you've got to remember there's the, the group of people I've probably mentioned here been through with some really bad times. And, and I think the early, I think the first 18 months here, Certainly the first 12 months was probably my hardest in football. So hard. Why was that? Well, I, I think it's just, you're just at two ends of the scales. I think Stu had the same thing. It was almost like an upward battle, really. You know, because to be fair, you, you, you've, you've made some really big changes. That sort of um, brings a sort of a, a level of instability, a lack of trust, really. You know, first team weren't successful. You've got these two lads from outside. Everyone thinks it's just a, you know, who are these uh, upsetting everything? Um, but but I but I think with you know we could sense from within it that if we could just stay with it, um, it's really interesting. One of my staff, Jay Stoke Smith, was was you know I, I sort of give him his the lead role two years ago, and then sort of the first sort of six or eight months, he, you know, I spoke to him and he said I was really hard, I felt like packing it in, and I kept on saying to him, "Don't, I'm telling you now, it'll change." You'll get your team around you. You'll get your thingy. You'll you'll start to develop. You'll start to you know. And then I spoke to him, you know, not so long ago, and so he said, "Best I've ever had it." He said, "Could he work so hard, been through all of the struggle, and 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 now he's seeing the benefit." The the, the bit that we have. I mean, I went to Wickham on on Sunday with Stuart, and uh, we're just talking about those first couple of years, and how people now are new to the club don't even know it, and it's so hard for them to go. What, the club was like that, yeah, yeah. It wasn't as quite as as vibrant as it is now, and you know. But it take. I, I do think when you make huge changes, it causes a lack of trust, and you know, and people are looking around themselves. I think that's in any business. I don't think that's in a, you know. Um, and we've worked really hard to ensure that we have the right people, the right staff, the right mentality, and hopefully it's uh, yeah. It's it's a genuine is a great place to work um, because it's the only place I feel that. Whatever's going on in anyone's life, it's got to be the safest environment for them. So for whatever time they're with us, whether it's a player or a staff member, is that they can get away from that. And it's a safe place. And we work really hard to ensure that that's the, you know, that's the case. And it's probably because we've got a smaller staff. It's interesting that some of the people that stayed behind when you first made those changes, talked about Jay there, Tom Wheel and your goalkeeping um, yeah. you know, department. They're people who have been able to progress and develop because you've obviously seen the people, right, I want to keep them around. 
um, and I'm giving them trust to develop themselves. Yeah, and I, I, I think to be fair, they struggled a little bit at the start because it was kind of like, I think it was a, I think the culture was as well, someone's always looking over your shoulder in. Well, I'm completely opposite, I've got to be honest. It's sort of like, listen, that's your job, get on with it. And they're like, oh, right, he's just left me alone. And, I sort of, and that's sort of our approach. Well, we pay you to do your job, do your job. Uh, but we're here to help. You know, we, wouldn't, we certainly wouldn't want to see anyone fail. Um, but no, I, I, I think what I did as well was I realised there was an awful lot of talent below the people who were maybe in those positions. And, and because it, there was so many staff, so many players, that maybe some of those players couldn't thrive. So I think that's happened at first team level, you know, in terms of the number of players or senior players that the young lads couldn't get into. So I think that's been a, a, a pretty big cultural shift where we had some real stars, both in staff and in um, and in players, and we just had to clear the way, you know, and allow them to to, to thrive. Now, you know, to be fair, in the, in, the, in the three and a half years, you know, some have, have gone on and have been excellent, you know, and, and some have, have probably not been as good. So I think that's now part of a flourishing... Um, you know, sort of football uh, sort of department is that um, we're in a position now where, where people who can flourish and want to go on in the game have got that that license to do. And I think next thing for us is we're selling players, but also nice for one or two of the staff to go, oh, by the way, I've just got a job with a top six club doing this. And that's another thing that we're, we're really big on. You know, we take, you know, interns, people out of colleges, you know, uh, invest in them over time and then if they go on and you know give something back to the club and then eventually can make their way in the game, then we've helped other young people, just not, not just footballers. And seeing where the club is at now and how healthy things are both on the pitch and off the pitch, are you able to sit back and go, yeah, this feels great to have played such a big part in this? Or is it, you know, end of the season, you might have a kind of reflection on that on that note? Uh, I th- well, we have two things. I, I, I think in terms of we, we're very, very critical and analytical, if I'm being honest. So at, at this moment in time, we've seen COVID as a chance to really do an awful lot of things behind the scenes about how we can become more sort of uh, um, objective to everything that we do rather than someone say, oh, he's not very good. And so we try to become more fact-based, more, you know, about performance, not just players, but staff, you know, be a bit more, um, you know, base a lot of things on facts. So it's been a really good learning curve for, for sort of 12 months within the academy and the club, I think. Um you know, I think also the other thing is that I know certainly for Stuart and myself is I think the moment it becomes same old, same old, this is the moment I think that's it. I'll be bored. And then the, 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 I think the moment we walk in and go, well, it's the same as yesterday. At the moment it's exciting because we've got a soccer bot coming, we've got a performance centre, hopefully there's, you know, we're going to do this, this, this and this. We want to stay in the Premier League. I, I, I don't think, you know, knowing certainly Stuart as well, is the moment it comes boring and there's nothing to achieve. And I don't mean that just by, but I think then that's, that then becomes difficult with our personalities. I think it's, uh, you know, we're always looking for the next stimulus, I think. And, that, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it'd be the same with, with Daniel and, and whoever. I think the moment we become, oh, we're doing all right here, is probably the best time to replace us, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that would be the, the, the key. It's not that at the moment. It seems very... Can we do that? Can we do this? What about this next? What about this? And it's, you know, I, I think the moment we it becomes a little bit boring, uh, then I think it'd be really hard for us. What is that period for you, Steve? 
what is the period where you think, yeah, you know what, everything still feels fresh? How long can you keep that going for? I think when there's something to do, when we filled every last piece of space in the ground or the training ground, when we've got what we wanted, where we, I think at the moment we we talk about and we develop something which leads us into a different, into a different sphere. You know, it's like you know I met Stuart last week and uh, conversations about all sorts. So it's exciting, it's fresh. We've heard something, we're onto something. We, you know, what, what about this? What about that? And I think that's really important. I think. I don't know. It's exciting at the moment. You know, it's it's a developing club. It's a developing project for for everyone, and it's quite an exciting place to be around. You know, um, yeah. I don't, I don't know when it's all finished that you'd end up being a bit more. Oh, we've got nothing to build now. We've got nothing to. I don't know. I, I just you get in that world, and I think because of where we came from um, and the clubs that we've worked for, maybe that's been our major driving force, rather than being oh, I'm at a big club now when we do. You know, I'm safe and I'm working with the best. I don't know. I just kind of like the fact that, you know, we come into We played Chelsea on Saturday, actually. And I was at one of the coaches. I'd been here for a couple of years. He went, I just couldn't believe the difference. You know, and some of their coaches taking pictures of different things that we've done because they share ideas across the board. And I, I think the moment that stops is probably the moment that where it needs freshness. If you, if, you know, you, or, you know, we talk a lot about what stimulus we get. You know, so if we stay the same, we get the same ideas, don't we? So, you know, I think you, I think as, as people who are in charge should continually look to outside stuff. And Steve's very, very good at that. I mean, he knows a lot more people than I do, and he knows more celebrities than I do. So he's, uh, but but it, but he's in, you know, he's got a lot of initiatives, and you know, we'll run a lot of things. So as long as that's still here, then I think that's it's exciting. I think when that stops, then go and play golf. <laughs> on that note how set is the academy setup right now looking forward to produce the next batch of talent to be you know filtered through to the uh, the first team uh i think well in terms of you know what the what we do and where we go with it is is pretty set uh, but I, in all the all the time that i've been here it's just moved forward you know it's uh we, we we're doing a load of research stuff at the moment and you know, we're looking at a lot of analytical stuff, certainly with the, at the top end, which is showing some unbelievable information that we've got, which is then shaping a whole different, you know, um, sort of way in which the academy will go. But but keeping the pro, the core principles of type of players we sign, how we coach them, um, but there's just trends and stuff that we can do. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're talking about a the soccer bot come in and the performance centre. So if we get this big performance centre, which is basically all about physical performance and everything around it, and you know, and, it's, and at the moment it's an idea, you know, where a couple of people just sit there and go, ah, what about that? <laughs> but what's been great about this football club, and it, and it should be, you know, the fans should be uh, so pleased is how that happens, how it's allowed to develop, you know. So I'm pretty sure by the time that we we finish it and, and it works or it doesn't work um, in terms of getting off the ground, that it'd be something that it's cutting edge of the industry, not something that's, all right, they've got a gym, you know, type of thing. It's like, no, 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 they, they've got a proper performance centre that's, you know, geared towards us for young players and, and research and development and, you know, and, and that's exciting. You know, so I, I do I think that we're in a position to, you know, be what we've, what we've done over the last four years, definitely. 
is that enough for us? No, because I think we just generally want to be better. Uh, and we're trying to find ways of, you know, improving things without changing what fundamentally we're, we're, we're good at, which is opportunity and good players. Very exciting times ahead then. And also, I guess it, it's good to hear that clubs can envy the facilities that we have at Norwich, isn't it? And, and that must help attract other players to the club as well, surely? Yeah, well, I, well, I don't think it's envy. I think it's just a sharing of ideas. I think we go to so many different training grounds, take pictures of what they do and go, oh, I'll bring that back. So, so I think that the, the training ground, that the, the, the Lotus training ground here is a culmination of a lot of training grounds we've been to because you, you sort of try and fit in what you can into the facility that you've got. So, you know, we've got pieces of Liverpool that we take, some stuff we had from Wolves we've taken, some, you know, so there's a lot of different things. I think, you know, uh, I think whoever builds the next one always, you know, we, we have some goals that are, are, you know, in full size, but only a metre high. And you can see the Chelsea lads going, oh, we're not seeing them. And we've got an outside gym. Listen, their facility is fantastic. You know, so it's just uh, just an idea sharing thing. I just think that um, whenever we build something, whenever we do something, whatever ideas we have, it's just on the, you know, hopefully at the forefront of what's not happening in football, but happening in, so, you know, Jay's doing some work at the moment regarding, you know, where's the best performance centres. So he was at Googling Toronto uh, baseball yesterday. I think he's going to visit Tampa again and have a look around theirs. And, you know, there's um, aspiring uh, in Dubai. I mean, it's just, um, uh, there's loads of places that we're, we're trying to be influenced by that, that we can then bespoke something for what we try to do. So we don't want to follow anyone. Just like ideas from wherever they come and see if that works for Night City. Uh, we chatted, I've, we've had a conversation with you before, Steve, and I remember you saying the words, being at Norwich City, people don't know how good they've got it because you've been at other, uh, other clubs yep. around the game. What do you mean by that? Oh, this is a great club to work for. It, it just is. It, it's it's uh, the, the owners trust you which, and, the, and the board trust you. I mean, don't, I, I think trust is gained, you know, I think over time. But we're allowed to develop something here um, I think the fans are patient. I think the fans are, are good. It's a good place to work. I think the environment, the people, the surroundings, I think the local people want a little bit of your time, uh, which is nice. I mean, you go to other parts of the country and they, they might grunt at you a little bit or, you know, you know, or don't. I just think the, because of the sort of the, the, the geographical nature of the club, it's a city, in a, you know, it's a big club in a big area. You know, and it is a focal point. So to get three and a half thousand for a for a for a youth cup game against Man United last year was it's not normal, really. You know, and there's an interest in, in in that. So it's a bit like someone asked me the other day, "Oh, what's the academy worth to Norwich City?" And I went, "Well, unless you've lived in it and understood the culture, is that you? you, you how do you measure? You know, a, a fan wanted to know about what an under 16 is doing, under 17, what a youth team's doing. I don't think that necessarily happens everywhere." Um, and while the, the you know the current um, sort of hierarchy are in is it really is a, a good place to be. They say thank you. I believe me. I know it might might sound a bit strange, but like in a lot of clubs, you might not get a kind smile. You know, I always feel here if you work here, you're appreciated. It's a good club to be at. You know that you know when you meet people in the street, they go, oh, "Do you work for Norwich?" With a sense of, "All oh, right." Rather than it be, I've worked at some clubs and, you know, all right, you work there, you know, and you're worried about what happens next. Um, so, so, I, so I think 
it's unique. It's a special place, and why a lot of players stay here and and, and don't move back to where they came from. You know, it's a it's a real nice part of the country that's uh, fortunate to have a really good football club in the middle of it. That is such a nice note to end it on. Um, so interested to hear just, you know, everything that goes on behind the scenes to help develop the club and, and move it forward as you're doing. And, and thank you from all of us fans for all the hard work that you're putting in. So thanks for joining us on the podcast, Steve. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Steve. Thank you very much. Yeah, for me, it was really interesting to hear about what goes into identifying a young player and then helping them develop. Because obviously, as fans, we see this young talent on the pitch and we've seen a lot of it lately, but we don't always hear about the path that they've taken in their development to get to that point. So really enjoyed that chat from Steve. Yeah, Steve always speaks so honestly about the work that they're putting in, what they've had to change since coming into the club, and he's always a fantastic listen. If you enjoyed it and want to hear more podcasts just like that, we're on Spotify, Apple and YouTube. Just search All In Yellow. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.